Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Mushroom Alaska podcast. We're your hosts, Brendan and Sean. That's me. As always, great to be with you. Thanks for listening to us. And Happy New Year. Oh, yeah. 2024, dude. Remember when it was 2023? Because I don't. Oh, yeah. 24, off to a hot start over here. Got this nice little stomach bug, moving on to a nice little cold right now, a little congested. Mm. Great way to bring it in, baby. But then we discussed how Josh McNeil, which is, this is the prelude to his episode. And I'm pretty sure, I need to give it a listen all the way through again, but he said something about running a 300-mile race with a 104 temperature. And then me and Brendan are like slightly inconvenienced by a cough. We're like, looks like we're going to have to reschedule this podcast where I'm sitting on a couch talking. (laughs) Dude, it's funny. So the stomach bug was both ends for me for like, uh, well, what, what are you you talking (laughs) about? We're going there, dude. I mean, okay. So I, it it, literally, I, I was thinking about, I was like, all right, do you think that Josh would be both ending it on the sled, just like taking it like a man or what? Yeah, he wouldn't be the first musher to have the runs while running a race. I can't tell you how many mushers have told me stories. What of, do you do? Do you just would you just go fully naked in that case? Or I mean, what? You know, there's stories of people just mushing with their pants down and just just pooping while they're moving and into the you know you put a trash bag inside of of uh of the cooler that you feed your you know you put your dog food in put a trash bag in there and you just yeah you, you know you, you whatever whatever you know both ends uh you know what or you know the thing is literally just one wave me. you know if it's like if it's like every 20 minutes dude you can't be stopping and dropping your drawers every 20 minutes you know if it's like a one big wave then sure yeah but you know you got to be able to poop on the move if you got the runs and you're just you know we'll see here's the thing like it was literally both ends at the same time okay that's i'm really so i'm just we're losing a lot of listeners here yeah logistically mm-hmm. i'm curious like how does the musher pull that one off that's the i mean how did you pull here. it off you know I, I don't really want you to i was in the shower question. so okay, he you know the question yeah there you go um yeah uh I would think that, you know, you, you just, you know, I don't, I think we can just use our imaginations. I could, I could fake my way through the answer to this one. Um, I hope that no one has to experience that. And uh, if they do Godspeed. Moving right along. Moving right on. That's how you start it. Yeah. I mean, you know, hopefully that maybe gained us some listeners i don't know again i just see him just piling in right now it's crazy how many oh, one there's another subscription up oh, another right there live oh hey how you doing all right well sir as we're recording this we're coming up on the uh the knick 200 weekend and uh i know you're excited i think you're gonna be there um what's on your mind dude like the closest race to anchorage you know, it's got to go. Kind of have to. Uh, that's where I live, Anchorage. It's right across like the ocean from Anchorage. Like literally, probably ten miles from like downtown Anchorage is where Kinnick is. If you were to like fly a plane, but you have to go like it's like an hour and forty five minute drive because you got to go around the water. It's kind of funny. 
Um, my thoughts gone into it is it's like it's I feel like it's like, you know, there have already been races, but to me, I not everyone, maybe not everyone agrees with it, but I think like this kind of marks like, like you know, week one of the season. You know, I know we keep on making like our, you know, uh, <clears throat> sports analogies because we grew up in Georgia and sports are everything. But yeah, this feels like, you know, the first big event of the of the mid distance mushing, um, scene. I mean. The reality it is. I mean, I don't think there's been a even a 150 yet uh, this season. So that you know, 150 is like the distance barrier to being a mid-distance race, and it's just a whole another uh, level of conditioning and different skill set than you know running these 50 mile races and 100 mile races. And uh, so you know, I I think it's kind of gets me really excited just to, it for it to be you know here at last uh, and you know, from basically this step one to a bunch of amazing events that are going to be taking place in January and February, March and April. Um, so it's, it's a really amazing event with a lot of history. Uh, a lot of people that have been in the mushing scene for several decades are, you know, behind the scenes in this race, uh, getting the trail in. It's a historic, it's, it's a historic trail that they're on. Uh, um, and, you know, we've got 39 mushers participating and it's, it's exciting, man. That's, that's my initial thoughts on it. I like it. I like it. I went ahead and pulled up for any of you uh, listening. Um, you know, you can always watch this on YouTube, but I went ahead and pulled up last year's um results and uh thought we might could talk about that to kind of start things off uh it was a close one eddie burke holding it down 24 hours 24 minutes and uh first place and then he beat brent sass by 11 minutes and then we had nick petite another 20 minutes behind that hugh neff another half an hour behind that and Michelle Phillips, seven minutes behind that. So I, I said all those, it's five people, top five, all within an hour of each other. That to me is super impressive. Um, I also I think remember, gonna... go ahead. I also remember last year talking to, or I guess this year, talking to Eddie. And if I recall, I think Brent was out of the last checkpoint in first place. And I think that Eddie had to chase him down to get him, if I recall. So does, either way, it, just, sound right. it, seemed, it sounds like, I mean, obviously the results indicate that it was tight, but that that would have been kind of cool to be there. Uh, you weren't at last year's Knick, were you? I was at the start. Uh, this year okay. I'll be there for the start, middle, and finish. Uh, I don't think, I don't know if I'm going to go might end up at that at Deshka where the checkpoint, the lone checkpoint is. Um, not sure, but I do anticipate this year to be even more competitive. There's just a bunch of really strong teams. Can you score down on last year's results? Sure. It's like, uh, I'd say, you know, maybe Travis last year, you know, I don't know. He might've had a young team, but like, that's a guy that I think, you know, this year, he's not going to be finishing down at 14th, you know, and uh, we go, let's like check out um, this year's field. 
you know, we've got 39, we got double the amount of mushers. It's like, it's just double the amount of competitive. Um, some people are in it to compete and some people are in it to, um, <clears throat> you know, just, that, do just what's kinda... in, what, it's like a training run, you know, for, right. for their team. It's like, it's again, like this exposure to, uh, an environment where there's 39, essentially they're all 12 to 14 dog teams mostly. So what's the math on that? You know, let's go four times 12, 24, 40. That's like almost 500 dogs, 500 dogs in the same parking lot that are all like well-rested and incredibly in like peak condition for this, uh, you know, shorter event. They're, they're, they're all ready to rock. You know, maybe some people's teams aren't as well conditioned and you're going to see those teams or maybe they're not that experienced. Those teams might be taking extra breaks at uh, that uh, uh, beyond the mandatory rest. And we'll go into those rules a little bit later, but um, the, the um, excitement in, in the, at the start line uh, is going to be something that you really can't train your dogs to experience that. And, and except for by just experiencing it, you know, so you can't just go and emulate this energy that, that it, it's going to, they're going to be overly excited. And I don't want to bring it back to talking about having the runs and about but like when dog teams are surrounded by 480 dogs <clears throat> they get so excited that they're like kind of their their movements might be a little suspect you know you know so the, they're they're dealing with like it's it's almost you know i don't know if you guys have ever been so excited that you kind of gotta kind of gotta go you know that's kind of one of those you know that happens to dogs too they're so excited they're gonna be screaming and barking i'm bringing earplugs uh so this is really good experience for young dogs inexperienced dogs and then we go to the race rules what hold on i'm gonna pump the brakes let's check out the field here we got hunter keith who finished seventh last year uh M M matt Fairler was in the top 10 you know amanda otto's got an awesome team bailey vitello i could see him finishing pretty competitively it's cool to see that he's I think it's of note that Bailey lives on the East coast and he's here in Alaska. That's exciting. Um, it's a freaking journey to get here with your 14, 15, 16 dogs. So stoked to see that he's made it to the other side of, of the country. Uh, Travis Beals, you know, he's going to be competitive in this thing. Um, Dakota Schlosser has been a main guy in every mid distance race for the last four, four years pretty much um you know it'll be interesting to see what he does he's got like probably the sexiest sled in mushing Ooh. like i'm gonna go there and say it. it is it's brand spanking new he custom made it he's sled dog systems is like his you know project his family his dad and his brother josh they're uh they're making some really amazing sleds um and it's just, it's bright and beautiful and comfortable and uh I'll see if I can get a picture of it on Saturday and um, you know, some names I don't recognize uh, and I hope to further educate myself on those dog teams and mushers. Um, Gabe Dunham has proven to be a, a total, total shark in these uh, 200 miles distance is kind of where she's 
really thrived. Um, Anna Barrington, you know, she's not, Christy's not in it in mushing as much this year, but I know she's helping Anna a ton, ton behind the scenes. Um, and now she, Anna's probably got a stronger team for it. Uh, Dave Turner, uh, top five lock pretty much. Uh, Josh McNeil, you know, he's, he, he talked about it on this podcast. He's, he's, his goal is to be the best dog team on the planet. Um, so, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be going for it out there and be interesting to see. I think like similar vibe with Josh as it was with, with Eddie last year, where he kind of didn't really think, you know, Eddie's not going to win this thing. Like he's never, never, you know, been a winner of a race. And, and then he went toe to toe with Brent Sass down to the finish line. I think Josh kind of could see a similar storyline potentially. Um, you know, Nick Petit, he's been kind of like quiet. Like, you know, I haven't heard a lot from, he has a pretty fun Facebook uh, follow. If you guys find him, he's got, he like writes his statuses. Like it's like a freestyle fragments of like, this is what I did on my run today. And, and it's it was really kind of fun to watch. I read something the other day from him and it was like almost poetic, you know, it was just beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, so Nick Petit, Brittany Watkins, you know, of a Diderot veteran. Uh, Anna Hennessy is going to be in it this year. Oh, Julia Deloach, nice. She's uh, she's worked at uh, Jeff King's place and at the Nally National Park, which is a super experienced uh, dog person. It was kind of cool to see her in one of these races. Um, Eddie Burke, new dog team, and so we'll see what we'll see. This is a debut of his his new dog team, New Kennel. Um, and then Isaac, you know, he's, his, he's another, I did a ride a rookie that is in the race and his coworker, Josiah is, uh, got a team and that's really exciting. You know, it looks like that's Josiah's probably his first, uh, I did a ride qualifier. He got a, a relic amount of Reddington's in this race. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's just two. Uh, yeah, I thought there was a Ryan Reddington in this race, but I think that Wade is running Ryan Reddington's team. It's my understanding. Um, Isaac Reddington's like 15. So he's like the 17th generation of Reddington's running the Iditarod. And uh, Michelle Phillips, you know, top five. Ed Hawkins is, I believe, their partners. Um, <clears throat> so it's kind of, it's it's fun. Like, yeah, not, most people don't know, the, you know these pairings of the people running the same dogs, whose dogs they're running. Uh, Emily Robinson debut. It's a 200 mile event. Um, I'm excited to see that one. I want to see how she does. Yeah, Lara's uh, Miss Sheevy's, um one of her employees. She so she's uh, I, I, qualifying for I did her out if if she hasn't already. Oh, there's Ryan Reddington. He's in it, um, and I believe Wade might be running his B team. Turning heads kennel two. One of my favorite mushers. Uh, turning is a great guy. Um, his middle name is heads last name, kennel, uh, the second, um, no, that's, uh, actually, I see what you did there. I see what our, you did there. It's our good friend, Abby, who's her debut as a 200 mile race. That's exciting. So that's Shout a lot of cool, let's cool go storylines. Yeah, let's go. Uh, and 39 teams. All right, now we go and we have this sequitur to the race rules. If you're watching on YouTube, also, we're just going to read it out loud for the listeners as well. 
but it's good. It's important to re- re- read the race rules as a fan, of course, as like a participant, but you know, that's what kind of makes a race like, like what style is this race? How many hours do you have to rest? Are there handlers? Is it on the road system? What's the trail looking like? Um, when does it start? Uh, how can I follow it? You know, so <clears throat> we're looking at the race r- rules here. Uh, Musher must be 18 years of age. Emily, come on. How'd you do get around? Or if under age of 18, they must provide proof of racing experience. That includes the completion of two junior Iditarod races or the equivalent. Um, it's cost 500 bucks to, to run this race, which is, you know, a good deal. You got veterinarians at, at the checkpoints, uh, veterinarians checking all the dogs before the race starts, making sure that they're fit to compete in this race. They're, uh, checking their heartbeats and, uh, their physical condition, the state of their, you know, shoulders and knees and ankles and pads and uh you know their hydration levels their body score how uh, fat or skinny or in between are they uh they're going to note what they are at the beginning of the race versus at the end of the race um and they're gonna these vets are going to be available as a resource for mushers uh throughout the event you can um so they don't haven't announced what the purse is the race starts at 10 a.m on uh saturday morning um we've got this is the interesting part the race route so the race route is starts at knick lake which is near the the goose bay there's a bar it's at a bar essentially i believe uh and there's a lake right next to the bar so it's they got a ton of space and um then it goes 50 miles to Deshka Landing. So in the 2021 I did a ride that started and ended at Deshka Landing. Uh, that's going to be a check, the, the only checkpoint of this race, 50 miles. And then it's going to go back to the Kinnick Lake where it started. And then that, that Kinnick Lake, you're required, you're required to take a six-hour rest <clears throat> for every team. And then you go and leave Kinnick Lake, go to Deshka Landing. 50 miles and then leave Deshka landing and go back to connect Lake. So it, this is just 50 miles of trail. And I think I speak for the mushers and the trail crew and the connect race crew. When I say like, we all wish it was a 200 mile loop and it, or maybe a 100 miles out and 100 miles back, but the conditions, the resources of the, the conditions for this winter, you know, I'm not sure. It didn't really get super cold. So maybe the rivers aren't like very like great conditions. I'm not really sure what it looks like out there. Um, but to only have 50 miles is uh an interesting twist on things. It's been like that in, in multiple years in the past. But th- what things how this affects the race. Number one, you only have 50 miles of trail and there's 39 dog teams that are going to be on just those 50 miles of trail. You're going to have them going in both directions. Pretty much, you know, there's going to be several teams that only rest at Knick Lake. So after the first 50 miles, which will take the top teams less than five hours, you're going to have oncoming traffic for all those teams 
that are not quite at that at Deshka yet. So you're going to have a lot of head-on passes. And that, like, some teams are great at it. Some teams aren't. They don't have, like, super experienced leaders. Maybe the trail, I would assume the trail is going to be pretty wide and with, like, a ton of, like, very, like, plenty of space to be passing it was smoothly, but some teams just haven't done it that much. Or some teams, maybe they'll smell the female in heat and they'll be like, oh, let me stop and say hello to these guys. And uh, there's just a lot of opportunities for delays, I would say. Uh, and even for top teams, you know, if you run into an inexperienced team, maybe they kind of tangle up with your team or something you know, like that. And as we saw, this race was decided by 11 minutes last year. So it's an interesting thing to keep in mind. I'm betting that most of these top teams are not going to, it's not going to really be a factor, but it is going to be a factor for a lot of teams. And, uh, and it's, you know, you can't, re- you can't, it's, it's going to be interesting. Like from a mushing perspective, you know, the super experienced mushers, I would say this could be, you know, pretty chill race for them mentally. But like for a lot of these like starting guys, like it's kind of stressful you're like constantly like looking around the corner, like where's the next dog team. Okay. Cause like you takes like some skills from the driver to like pass a team. You have to like slow down just the right at the right time. And then you got to kind of like speed up at the right time. And then you got to like MacGyver your sled kind of to the side of the trail. And, and so you're kind of always on alert, you know? And so uh, it's going to, you know, it's going to take it its toll mentally, but it's only 200 miles and it's like a day and a half. It's just pulling an all nighter with the boys. It's not that bad, uh, but yeah, 50 miles. Was, was last year's race this route? Right. Stand by, know, standing by, standing by, standing by. I'm curious. Uh, I, I, I don't think so. I honestly, like, I don't recall it. I feel like that would have stood out to me talking to anyone about it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I don't um, remember that at all. It will be very interesting to see how that, if that comes into play, if anyone has any stories. Um, So that is certainly interesting. Uh, Go ahead. Do you have another thought? No, I was going to say we can move on to the next I just still want a couple of things left on these rules. Yeah. 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 Is, uh, so yeah, mushers are going to stop likely only at the Knick Lake, the competitive ones and the people that are using this as a training run or with their young dogs, whatever, they're going to spend some time at Deshka probably camp out for, you know, three to six hours, depending on the team. Um, you can start with 14 dogs. I mean, kind of rowdy 14 dogs. That's a good, you know, 16 is now the new Iditarod maximum, which is what it was five or six years ago. Shout out to Matt Failer of 17th Dog Kennel, who had like, he like, you know, like Seattle Seahawks, they have like the, the 12th man. Yep. And that's like what their thing is at Failers. It's like the 17th dog is like the fans. Right. But then it became like a 14 dog race, the Iditarod, but they kept it at 17. I remember I asked Matt, like, dude. I mean, it doesn't really make sense anymore. The 17, you know, and he was like, yeah, they'll probably change it back or whatever. It's the idea. And I was like, okay. And then they he's kept sticking the to it. And now, now, you know, he's probably like, good thing, you know, good thing he stuck to it. So yep. the maximum amount's 14. You get to start 
10 to start is the minimum that you can start with. And then you have to finish with five dogs pulling in harness at the finish line. Um, Deshka landing is a checkpoint, but not a food drop for 200 mile race. So basically all the dog food is going to be at the start slash, you know, finish line. And they're and mushers are providing it. They're going to bring it in their own truck. And it's very logistically simple for the race and the mushers to do something like that. Um, you can drop a dog at either of the checkpoints and you, and mushers are providing handlers. So they have to have basically someone at each checkpoint to take a dropped dog or uh, also to like clean up straw, clean up poop, clean up whatever mess the musher leaves and just kind of be there uh, so that the race doesn't have to like carry the responsibility of that. Um, the, uh, I believe that there is one bale of straw per dog team that is provided at the Knick halfway point. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, you need, need straw to bed your dogs down. And let's see. Um, you got all the same mandatory gear that you would have for the Iditarod, you know, axe, and uh, you got to have a sleeping cold weather sleeping bag. Uh, head, uh, I mean, you know, you need a headlamp and bat and batteries to mush. It's like doesn't need. It's kind of almost redundant to make it mandatory. Mandatory, uh, right? Eight booties for each dog in the sled or in use. Um, dog food two pounds per dog you know I don't think they're getting out the scale and like measuring this exactly but it's just kind of like they want to see generally that this is what it looks like at the checkpoints Um, and then a lot of the rest of the stuff here is just going to be kind of you know getting into the weeds here of stuff that's not that exciting and it's going to be standard for every single sled dog race stuff. Like you can't switch mushers. You can't introduce new dogs. You can't have outside assistance. Um, you, you know, things like that. Right on dude. Yeah. So, um, so it's just six hours of mandatory rest. And the one thing I want was going to ask is, so they only provide that one uh pail. What, what was the terminology? The one bale, bale of hay. Yeah, bale of straw. Straw hay is for horses. Hay. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Excuse me, excuse me. I don't need okay. anyone getting hay fired is for up, eating. Right. It, it, that's that's it's the same. I think it's the same substance. I don't know for sure, but for sure hay is described for a food, and straw would be for you know insulation or bedding or whatever. So for the teams that aren't competitive or aren't trying to win it, they got to travel with that then. Correct. And which is what's which is another thing that kind of maybe slows them down a little bit. Not really, dude. You're going to start no. starting with freaking 14, 12, 10, whatever it is, dogs, and you add an extra, you know, five or 10 pounds of straw. You're okay. going to be like, I wish I had, you know, it. they're going to, it's going to be rocket ships taken off from the start line, no matter what the train is mass start is that right uh i i i gotta it didn't say it didn't i, it I didn't, didn't see but yeah last year it wasn't but it has been in the past and i can kind of 
try to take a look here, but um gosh, yeah, that, that would you know, be that would be epic. Thirty nine team at the same yeah, time. Insane. Come on, man. There's no way. It's gotta be it's gotta be staggered. Yeah. But a man can dream. Now, if if <laughs> it is a mass start, you gotta get a video of that without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, I'll be getting I'll be getting some videos for sure. And uh yeah, the you know, ca- carrying all the stuff that you need to camp out one that's essentially what the people that are camping at Deshka, they're gonna carry all the stuff that they need for their one unsupported camp out at Deshka, you know, so it's really just carrying stuff. This is happens in any race, really, you know, to be able to be able to be equipped to, to camp your dogs on like unsupported, you know, bring all the food and the straw and the booties and the gear that you need to bed your dog team down for a few hours uh, with, without it being provided at the place that you're stopping, you know, so that's not a big deal. And uh, you know, if it's, even if it's a mushroom's first time doing it, it's like, you know, you feed dogs in the dog yard. It's just a little different than that. And it's going to be kind of, you know, you can tell the difference, you know, who's got their routine dialed and who's kind of calculating to figure out like, wait, should I take the booties off like right away? Maybe I should get the straw down. You know, I feel like the dogs probably won't even really sleep that much for this race. Cause it's like, just like they're going to run, you know, for run 50 miles. They'll be like, I'm not really that tired. You know, if they're stopping after 50 and after a hundred, they'll probably be down for a nap, but, I don't imagine they're going to be like just conked out after a hundred, you know? So it's just like, let's just let them just stop running for a little bit. You know, it's like more about just like letting them rest and stop running. And if they sleep great, you know, that's going to make them faster probably, but it's not like, you know, a big deal. If, if they, you know, it's like just one all nighter. I mean, we've all pulled an all nighter before, you know, dogs can do it too. And, and then they'll get a nice recovery when they're done. And, and uh and probably be barking and screaming to go by monday morning yep and i guess as a handler you're just kind of doing the same thing you're going back and forth you'll be at the start line then you go to the deshka then you go back like that that's yeah same thing pretty much and it's yeah i think it's probably a 40 minute 50 minute drive um and you just got to be there really just to receive a drop dog is the biggest thing and, and cleaning up after. And then just being like, honestly, just being like supportive, like emotionally supportive is pretty yeah. nice. And, you know, a lot of people are going to have, you know, you're going to see these all time mushers that are there with their dogs, but not actually participating in the race. So like, I, I would bet that, you know, Dallas CB is going to be there. Uh, Mitch CB is going to be there. Uh, maybe Jeff King will be there. I don't know. Maybe, um, it's not like Amanda needs, uh, you know, advice, uh, on how to mush. She's pretty, pretty accomplished on her own, but yeah, you know, a lot of these, you know, Ramey Reddington, will be there maybe. Uh, so a lot of these mushers are going to have like their mentor there and like they're, this might be, you know, their first time doing this and they're going to be like, okay, I've never like run 200 miles sharing a trail with 39 dogs. Like, I don't know the dog, this dog didn't eat. And this dog kind of ran funny and, and they'll say, ah, you know, is it like, how's its demeanor? And it's just like, it's good to bounce ideas. Like, Cause it's just so nuanced all these micro decisions that these mushers are making to take the best care of their dogs. And are you doing something just 
because you think that because you want to feel better about taking care of your dogs or are you actually doing something that is helping your dogs? And that's like an important distinguish in in mushing. It's like a lot of time mushers want to take the extra step to take care of their dog team. And they're, that's just because they want to feel like they're doing something. Right. Because sometimes you're like, Oh, I'm just going to give them a snack, take their booties off and lay down some straw and like, just let them get to sleep and be done in like seven minutes. You know, that could be what the dogs need, but you might feel like you should be making a big fancy meal for the dogs, massaging them and, you know, doing this and that. And that might be what they need sometimes, but maybe you need to leave them the fuck alone to go to sleep. You know, it's like, it depends (laughs) on, what your specific team needs and there's not a wrong way to do it but i'm just saying you know that's going through a musher's mind and i'm always erring on the side of taking the extra step to take care of my dogs and i think that it actually kind of got in my way because i wanted to feel like i was going above and beyond but in reality they might have just preferred that i let them be and let them rest and be out of the way you know and and just do the minimum interference so it's like it'll be interesting to see at these checkpoints, I'm going to be watching that and seeing, you know, who, who's does what kind of style. I like it, dude. I like it. Uh, so I feel like we've been chatting for a little while and want to kind of, you know, hone things in a little bit, but I'm curious, you know, I heard you say Dave Turner is a lock top five. Do you have any, any other predictions you want to put out there? Dude, I was thinking that? it'd be pretty fun to like us to just like write down our top 10. Just you and you do it. You're on your own time, and I do it at my own time. And okay. and maybe we like I don't know. I'd be I, I don't. I'm scared to share it because I'm probably be totally wrong on my predictions. But well, like know, also yeah. like some of these people we've had on the podcast, like I don't want to piss. Yeah, off like we anything. know most of these people. Where you're like, yeah, dude, Eddie's gonna totally blow it. He's gonna be 20th place. You know, it's like no, I I kind of want to. Uh, I'm kind of scared to share my thoughts, but yeah, I would be kind of cool. I think, you know, it's kind of like fantasy. There's there, there is fantasy mushing. I don't think there is for this race, but we can kind of do our own little brotherly duo if you want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I we'll know. write something down. I, I don't like want to tell you too, but if we're going to write something down, I don't really want to fill you in on what I'm thinking. All right. Well, go <laughs> fuck yourself too. All right. Uh, so let's move on to, our episode our interview josh mcneil shout out man he was a great great listen i enjoyed our time with him he's so cool dude he's a freaking hard worker man dude i just like holy shit it's just cool he's just doing him and his family you know his wife he's got a good support system but like dude he's just like seems like they have a really independent thing going on like they, you know, they, they're not like, they don't have like a, Oh, I don't know. It just seems like they just are got it. It just totally well-oiled machine here. You know, it, it probably took a few years to get to that. You know, they had yep. to buy a property and get their dogs, get the, you know, but a couple seasons in of running these races and what it takes logistically and, uh, and what it takes from the dogs, you know, their training and their conditioning. And now he's gotten to this point where he's got these really experienced dogs. He himself is experienced. He's 29 
with the Dude. maturity of a 55 year old. Literally, I, I was Dude. about to say something about that. I'm glad you said it because it was like when when I think at the end of of our interview, we asked him about like, hey, man, how old are you? And when he said 28 or 29, I was just like, holy hell. He he Dude. he literally like he's I'm I'm super impressed by his work ethic, both like professionally, you know, in terms of his job and how he lives on the slope for what is it, 10 days on, 10 days off, or no, something yeah, like that. Two weeks on, two weeks off, working, you know, 15 hour days for two weeks straight, Crazy. and then and coming he's, and doing he's a in, much in training schedule after that. And he's in charge of, I think he said like 150 people he's like managing yeah, or work, overlooking yeah. or whatever. What's well, like it's it's impressive, man. I think that like something that I've struggled with in my life is like deciding like where I want to go and what I want to do. And like this is like a, what I really find cool about Josh is it's just clear like he kind of found what he wanted to do and like I just dove right in head first and did it at a really young age. He found the love of his life, married her. He's found the sled dog lifestyle, bottom, bought a property, got a job, got it funded done all this at 29 i mean next thing you know he's going to tell me i have three phds and the nobel priest prize like i don't know what's coming up next but he's he's a really already incredibly accomplished and i think uh we're going to see a lot of success coming from his corner and his dog's corner um in the years to come i agree one thing that uh, outside of his work ethic and whatnot, that kind of stood out to me is just like he's he's trying to go out and win the Iditarod, man. Like he's 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 he wants to be a, a top top name, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if if he's at the top of some of these races leading up to the Iditarod. Um, this is his what is it third run at it. I think he pulled out in 22. He did 21, 28. I mean, he's going to, I think he's obviously going to do better than his uh, previous time, nine days, 16 hours. I'm, I think he would beat that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I did kinda... It's just so like you can have the best train team and the most experienced musher and it still can just totally Blow screw up. you over and you finish in 12 days or whatever, you know, but um, you know, Hopefully it goes well from out there, but let's, it's, we're going to see him out here in a couple of days and uh, I'm going to say hi to him. This should come out while we're, I'm out in the connect probably. And, and, uh, and yeah, we really enjoyed talking to him and I, I'm going to, I'm sure I'll see lots of Josh this, this, uh, this winter. So um, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us, Josh. And this was a fun intro, dude. I don't know. Sometimes my brain feels pretty smart. Most of the time it feels pretty dim though. And, but I don't know, this is kind of fun. It was fun, man. And I'm not going to lie. Like <clears throat> beforehand, Sean and I are talking, I'm like, dude, I am, I'm fucking gas, dude. I can't do this. And we start talking about things. And then we start talking about what we've got on our plates coming up. It's like, all right, let's just try to make it happen. Let's just power through. And ah, it's like a workout, dude. It's like, you don't really want to do the workout. And then afterwards you're done with the workout and you're like super fucking pumped, man. Anyways. Uh, Hey, thanks for listening to another episode. Y'all um, we're excited. We've got, we've got some plans for y'all coming up for the oh, yeah. Iditarod. 
Um, so just kind of be paying attention, be on the lookout, make sure you're liking, subscribing, following, and um, yeah, enjoy this this next one with with Josh. All righty, folks, welcome back. Our next guest, welcome on, Josh McNeil. How's it going, brother? Good, man. Just living the dream. Currently uh, at work, so I can afford to buy my my uh, next pallet of dog food. <laughs> yeah, you're up on the North Slope, which Brendan asked me what, what that was today. <clears throat> yeah, what's yep, your so, answer on what the North Slope is? Yeah, so I'm at the our on the North Slope of Alaska. Uh, I work at uh, Milne Point um, for Hill Corp Alaska which as you guys know, is a huge sponsor for Iditarod and also my employer and, and a sponsor as well. So for me. Right on. Yeah. And you do the two weeks on two weeks off thing, right? Yep. Yep. Up here. I just got up here yesterday. So um, I hauled ass home from the ACE race and put everything away and then jumped on a plane yesterday morning to to come up here and start my two week hitch and be here through Christmas. So damn damn dude that's a crazy lifestyle so you got two weeks you fly how many hours is the flight to the from south central alaska all the way up to i guess uh, you're in fairbanks you're in interior so from fairbanks or Esther. yeah but they during covid they got rid of the fairbanks to uh dead horse flight so i have to fly south to anchorage first oh my god an hour and then fly north i, I can actually see my house from the plane if i'm sitting in the window seat so it's that's uh, pretty funny yeah. How long is the Anchorage flight? Uh, it's about an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes. So it's not terrible. Crazy. That's like in a, like a big old plane though, right? Yeah, like, we fly flying a 737. Yeah. 737 takes an hour and 45 minutes to fly it from the southern coast to the northern coast of Alaska. That's pretty, yep. pretty impressive. That's yeah. Wild. And you do that literally year round or... Yeah, year year round. So um, I'm home for two weeks at a time, and then I'm up here for two weeks at a time every month. And is that is that something that you were able to set up uh, when you first became employed with Hillcorp, or like how, how uh, do you how do you have that set up? Is kind of what I'm the, curious. So it's uh, it's pretty much a standard setup um, for anybody who works in the field. So when I first started working for Hillcorp, I actually started offshore down in Cook Inlet and I worked week on week off. Um, and then I, um, which is actually what I was working when I first started the kennel. Um, and then when I moved up here to the slope, um, everyone up here works at two weeks on two weeks off. And I think it's a, a much better schedule. Isn't there like a solid amount of people that work up there that live in like Texas and they go oh, yeah. about about half the people uh live live out of state you know washington idaho texas oregon florida alabama oklahoma you name it so i mean that that sounds kind of nice like you know you could live in texas work in alaska for two straight weeks and i'm sure like yeah i mean my understanding is you know you there's there's some good good paying jobs of uh not from i mean obviously like the people at the top of the company are going to be paid, but even like paying working like the cafeteria or whatever, or like oh, yeah. it, jobs it, are still like pretty lucrative, right? Yeah. Yeah. And things are really busy up here right now. So we're hiring tons of people. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely good money to be made up here, good benefits. Um, and of course, two weeks off. 
which is really nice too. Which is affording your lifestyle of running dogs. And I think one of the most, I don't know, I wonder what the percentage is. It'd be kind of a curious statistic for us to try to figure out as accurately as we can of, of sled dog kennels that don't do tourism um, or, you know, have some kind of, or send their dogs down to, you know, the glacier or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of cool that you get to like, you know, cause it, it does when you go and get the dogs are really dynamic. They're really like robust. You can change from race schedule to a tourism schedule. And depending on, you know, how crazy yeah. the tourism is, you know, what they're asking of the dogs on the glacier versus on the ground yeah. or whatever. But, you know, uh, being able to just only think about racing when it comes to your dogs, it can only yeah. be slightly advantageous at the worst, you know? Yeah. Um, no, it's, um, I think, you know, it's, it's obviously taken me some time to try and figure out, um, you know, how to train, um, for races and, and working this schedule. Um, I think I've about got it figured out. Uh, it definitely helps to have a super supportive wife and, um, and some really good handlers too. So those, yeah, I was going to say, you definitely need to help to key. pull that off. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, on that note, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your setup uh, for your for your kennel? Yeah, so uh, the way the our kennel is set up now is um, so we have forty five uh, Alaskan Huskies. Um, we're located in Esther, Alaska. So we actually bought um, Paige Drobny and Cody Strath's old place in Esther. Um, so we started the kennel down in Kasilov and I just kind of got tired of dealing, um, with the crappy winters down there, you know, the constant warm spells, uh, trails falling apart. And I had started, um, you know, I started running dogs in Fairbanks and we were actually going up there and training and we stopped by just to look at that place. Cause I knew it was for sale and we just immediately fell in love with it. So we, uh, we bought that place about three and a half years ago and moved the whole kennel up. And, um, and we, we just are absolutely love it there. And, uh, so right now, uh, this year, um, pretty much every winter we have two handlers during the winter. Um, we have a 28 dog race pool right now, uh, that we're training up that, uh, ranges in age from two to eight, um, with the majority of the dogs being three, four and five. Um, and yeah, we're just, uh, we're training for a really, really busy uh, race schedule this year so this is the busiest race schedule that i've ever signed up for and had uh, my team and handlers and stuff and so we're really looking or we're really looking forward to racing a lot this year and um the dogs are looking fantastic love to hear it dude congrats on the podium finish that were there on the denali highway yeah thanks thanks yeah no they're the dogs were smoking and like I told Emily and Dave, I said, if I lose to you guys, then um, I'm okay with that. I mean, they have two of the fastest, most athletic teams in the state. So um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool and pretty special to, to be able to run, um, you know, that fast of time on a trail that really wasn't a super fast trail. So mm -hmm. um, there was definitely some sections that were pretty soft. So. And how like, <clears throat> what what do you think the dogs were you training for that like speed a lot or was that like you kind of like all right let's let them let's let it open up the 
you know, the- you know so i mean we have been training so i've kind of taken a whole new approach to training this year um so the dogs did go down to the glacier for the first time ever um this summer so they came back and they were just super strong um yeah i mean dude you can i've seen i could like dallas's dogs after the glacier dude straight up like bicep vein Oh just, yeah, like I mean, just their, kangaroos, you know, you know, their their butts <laughs> were just like all popping, and I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta lean these guys out and speed them up because they've been hauling tourists all all summer. So, we we were training faster in the fall um, than we ever had, and you know that, and part of that, I you know, I wanted to lean the dogs out, but also, you know, I knew that we were going to be running the Ace Race, we we're going to be running the Knick, we we're going to be running the Cusco. Um, so we're going to be running Damn. some really fast races. Um, and, you know, we, I, I came home my last two weeks off. We were finally able to get on sleds. And I mean, it's just, it took everything that I had to, to slow the dogs down, but they, they just look so naturally, you know, it's not like I'm having to push them at that speed. They're just running naturally at that speed. And I think a lot of it is, is, the dogs that I have now are all dogs that I've raised and they're, they're starting to mature finally. So, um, but no, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I really wasn't pushing them super hard down the highway. Um, you know, we took off and we were flying and I was like, okay, I'm just going to let them roll and we'll see how it goes. So that's like 11 to 12 miles an hour. Yeah, so we were we were averaging until we got to the Susitna River Bridge, which is at about mile fifty. Um, we were averaging twelve miles an hour, and then um, then it goes uphill from there. Yeah, then there's some really big hills. You know, kind of that last twelve miles, and the trail got super soft. So um, we slowed down, but our our overall moving speed was about eleven seven. And then um, you know we pulled into the lodge, and the dogs weren't even tired. I mean, they popped the hook on me, and I was just like, "Man, you guys don't even look like you just ran a race." <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, have they been uh, out there? I'm sure you've trained on the Denali Highway a bunch, right? Oh yeah, and we've we've ran the Ace Race the last two years, so. Um, yeah, they, they knew, so they knew they, the drill, they knew the checkpoint, they knew that's where yeah. they raced, and they still are, are, that's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. usually uh, that race is, uh, I always remember there's a bunch of dogs that aren't tired, all resting in close, close proximity. There's usually, yeah, know, someone humping somebody or something going on. In that dog <laughs> yeah. every time. Uh, that's, that's why I always bring uh, a drop cable and uh, any dogs that are in heat, they uh, go inside the crate. So that way I can actually sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, you kind of have to have a bulletproof setup for that because, you know, 600 miles into the Iditarod, you dogs are yeah, happy to go and take a sleep and not 63 miles into the. Yeah, exactly. The exactly. And some teams camp better than other teams for sure. Yeah. So. I got a question uh, related to, you know, your two weeks on, two weeks off. Are The two weeks that you're on with your job, are you like the whole time kind of like thinking about like, all right, the training with the dogs? Are you like checking back in with your handlers or is it kind of like you're gone for two weeks? You kind of separate the the mushing from the work, the professional life. And then when you come back, you kind of get like the full rundown and whatnot. No, so I'm definitely involved, I would say, um, you know, with my handlers, uh, even if it's just a quick text, 
Um, you know, they're really good about it. Basically what I try and do when I leave is I'll line up like, okay, here's, here's what the next two weeks are going to look like, you know, um, you know, here's kind of the run schedule. Here's what I need you guys to have done for when I get back. And the way that we've started training is, you know, when I'm home, we train really, really hard. And um, so when I leave for work, we actually give the, the dogs a pretty good break. I mean, usually any sometimes three days to a week. Um, and I think that's that's really important for, you know, muscle recovery, mental recovery, um, you know, managing their weight, uh, all that. And so then what we do in the, the week before I get home is the handlers start building the dogs back up. So we'll start, you know, we'll do a short run and then a longer run, then a little longer run. So then that way, when I get back from the slope, we just hit the ground running and we're back to, to full board um, training again. So, um, you know, this year, I think I just, I feel like I have probably one of the best dog teams that I've had. And I think that's for a lot of reasons, but I also think it's because just, I haven't been pounding on the miles and, um, and just really been focusing on really like consistent, strong runs, um, rather than just pounding on the miles. And I think it's made a big difference. Yeah, and there's, there's something to be said for, like, the cumulative miles on a dog's feet for their lifetime, you know, like, yep. they get to five years old, and they've run two Iditarods, and probably ran 10 or 20,000 miles, you know, yeah. they don't need a 4,500 mile training exactly. winter. Exactly. Um, and it's, yeah, so that's cool. So you got basically, like, you know, your team, in theory, is in your in their prime, and I mean, when you just look at the age group, three, three four, five, most of them probably going to yeah. have some speed that are going to impress you at some point this winter. And, um, and you know, I read, when I read your website, it you know, it said, I didn't know this really until I, I watched the ACE race and like, you know, you've been like kind of in the front half of some races and, um, but you know, your intention is to be, you know, number one dog team, right? I mean, that's kind yeah, of like that, what you're trying to trend towards. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's my ultimate goal. Um, you know, it's, it's taken, it's taken me longer than I thought it would to get there. But, you know, like I, I told a lot of people is trying to start a dog team from essentially scratch. Um, you know, cause you, I mean, I bought a lot of dogs and, but there's a huge difference between buying a dog and, and raising a dog, the relationship that you have with those dogs that you raise, you know, is so much better. And, um, you know, people aren't going to sell you their best dogs. So you you have to, in my opinion, you, you have to breed to try and get um, to the next level. So, you know, I tell people all the time it's, it's raising a sled dog team is not like, you know, um, a race car. You can't just take it in the garage and buy lots of fancy new parts, put it on there and it goes faster. You have to, um, you know, it takes a lot of years to develop those dogs and those relationships. And it also takes a lot of patience too, because if you try and push a young team too hard, you could, you could ruin them for the rest of their career. Um, so it's, I think it's taken a lot of patience. And I mean, obviously I've learned a, a ton in the way, and there's been some times that I've been like really close and just, you know, something slipped through the cracks or whatever. Um, but, um, yeah, I've been right there and I, I, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, this season, it, it happens. It starts happening. So, 
Well, nice. good start. And uh, the Connect 200 is, uh, yeah, like basically two runs. And uh, yeah, those, you know, there's going to be some teams that are, that are averaging right around that 11 plus miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, last, year, last year in the Connect, I took six. I was, I was like right there to crack the top five. So, um, you know, and there was, what, 30, 40 teams in that race. And obviously it's going to be a super competitive race this year too. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. This is a question that every musher has a unique answer to. I think, uh, shotgun start. What, what, what's your play? What do you like? You know, you got all the teams starting at once. What are you thinking going into that? Oh, you know, I, I remember the, uh, so last year it wasn't a shotgun start, but uh, the my second race that I ever ran, the Kobuk 440, you know, okay. big mass start. And you know, I was thinking to myself, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna let some of the front runners go first. Man, you just get so excited that as soon as that hat drops, you're pulling the hook and you're just going. <laughs> I'm gonna be conservative. <laughs> we'll take it easy. We're gonna wait first dog leaves. All right, fuck that. I'm going. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I remember we were like a couple miles outside Cotsview, and I mean, we're just flying. And I, I looked down at my GPS. I'm like, I really need to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what's the rest of your race schedule for the year? You got? Is it uh, between? You got Connect, Costco, and then uh, <laughs> so. My, I actually, I, I have my handler, Nate, uh, he's running um, the Young Dogs uh, this weekend in the Solstice 50. And then uh, my handler, Ashley, and I were both running the Connect 200. So I'll have the A team, shove the B team. And then uh, I'll go out to the Cusco with the best 12 dogs. And then I hurry home from the Cusco, take the dogs that didn't go on Cusco and take them on Quest 200. And then... Um, and then I did a rod and then Ashley, she'll be doing her last, uh, I did a rod qualifier. She's going to do the Kobuk 440. So we've got, we got a busy schedule. Uh, that's crazy, <laughs> dude. Yeah. Wow. So I was curious about some of the, uh, origin of your dogs. Um, where, where, where did you get some of, uh, some of the folks that you build building your team up with? Yeah. So initially kind of how I started building my team is, um, when I was going to my senior year of college in Fairbanks, I was actually a handler for um, Ken Anderson. Um, you know, he ran uh, his 17th and final Iditarod the, the year that I um, worked for him. And um, and so the next year he leased his team out. And then in uh, the spring of 2018 is when um, I kind of bought what was left of his team. He had basically like 12 dogs left. So I bought I bought out those dogs and then you know living in Kasilov, Mitch CV lives in Sterling. Um, so it um, you know is a Mitch and I struck up a pretty good friendship. I feel like Mitch has been a big uh, mentor for me, you know, as far as advice and, and buying dogs. So uh, that first year I bought three dogs from him, and then um, did a breeding um, with one of the dogs that I bought from Ken named Jenna. Uh, she's out of uh, Solomon. She's an extremely athletic dog. Um, and I bred her to uh, Chris, which was kind of uh, Mitch's top dog at the time, right behind Pilot. Um, and so I did that breeding. And then that following spring, when I came home from the Kobuk, 
I took one of the females uh, that I bought from Mitch and um, bred to bison um, from the Reddingtons. Um, so had that litter and then um, bought a couple more dogs from Mitch, um, bred those males to Jenna. And then one of the pups out of the first litter um, from Jenna um, uh, actually took down to Mitch's and we um, we split a litter out of pilot. So I have four of those dogs and he has two. Um, yeah. So that's um, I have quite a bit of CV and and Reddington um, in my kennel. And then this summer, uh, I, I took the um, the best male out of the first litter that I had and the best female from the kind of the Reddington CV and they bred and they had 10 puppies this uh, summer and they're all looking really nice. So Dude, you got like, that's impressive yeah, right there. Not man. a lack of genetics. <laughs> no, you know, on your end, uh, you know, obviously there's plenty of teams that have other genetics than that and do pretty well, but God, that's, yeah quite the resume for your dog team's um background yeah Dude, so, so when i go after the best <laughs> yeah yeah well that's a, you yeah. combine that with their in their prime you've, you're getting better they're getting better you know it's like seems like a perfect storm for a good race season and you know even if you have a couple of races that don't go your way you're running five of them or whatever it's like yeah you're gonna it's have like, a good move, this year and move on to the next one <laughs> yeah and you know uh <clears throat> the cusco i i want to talk about it Diderata, but well, we have time we were not we're still early on in this so yeah. you've run the cusco once or twice once last year yeah and uh remind me of your finishing position in that uh it took 16th 16 that's like a strong it's a strong like anything that's i mean even finishing that race last place you're still doing it in like a friggin two days or whatever yeah, you know, uh, I, you know, I ended up taking extra rest during the race, um, but I think that race has probably given me more confidence in my dog's ability than any other race that I've ever ran and my ability as a musher. I mean, to just see what the dogs can do on so little arrests. And then, you know, last year we left the last checkpoint and it was like 50 degrees and then it started raining. And, you know, the last 20 miles we're running in four to six inches of water. There's no trail Damn. markers on the trail because they've all fallen over. Um, you know, we're literally swimming to Bethel. Um, and so, you know, just um, that race, that race taught me a lot about my dogs and, and myself and it's uh you know racing racing in the villages are are is like my favorite thing the the cusco and the Kobuk. i mean honestly if i if those were the only two races that i could ever do again they would be totally fine because they're just they're incredible races yeah some amazing groups of people everybody's so happy to have you show yeah. up to their little slice of paradise and yeah uh yeah it's make it makes you feel special being able to you know go and and you know see see what a different kind of lifestyle might be like and uh yeah for sure you know you know that's like when you say about like the confidence like i you know having you know been on the trail once or twice myself i i think like one of the things that like uh it's hard for me to get past that you only get past with just having you know Good, done a 10 hour rest kind of race like the Cusco or mm -hmm. going through some crazy overflow or going through 
something where you're like, man, like, I don't know. It's like almost 95% of the time. I mean, honestly, I'd say a hundred percent of what my mushing I'm, I'm the first person to think between me and my dogs. I'm the first one to think, I don't know, is this, should I stop and take a rest? I mean, like, can the, oh, yeah. we're, we're all... thing? like, it's never the dogs, the dogs are whatever I think is like, this is their limit. I think I'm like coming up on it. It's like not even 40% of their limit. Oh yeah. It's not a, we're, we're the limiting factor for sure. Especially mentally. And I think, you know, it just takes time and experience to, to get that confidence of, you know, where their level is at and you know, how hard you can, how hard you can go and how hard you long you can run. It just comes with experience and, and gaining that confidence. Yeah. Like a lot of times, and that's not to be like, there's like a, it's interesting. There's the recreational mushers that they just kind of are happy to do. And that, that's kind of my, where I fit in, even though I had the badass dogs, I still kind of ran pretty chill. <laughs> I don't know if it was because of the do- me feeling like, Oh, I don't know you know if i should go i mean i do i do remember i wanted to sleep an extra hour or two every time i was gonna say i do remember a couple conversations with you that uh may have went like that (laughs) yeah dude i (laughs) did that so like my first time i really had a not not a conversation with you was at in roan i believe 2021 and uh yeah you you know you were like i had a rough run i think through the gorge um yep you know like vibes were low and uh and then i was like all right like you know i'm there for you like what do you need you know just like i'll i think i think you just needed someone to talk to and hear you out and you get that out of your system and then you know i was thinking like all right well you know maybe i can you know i probably beat josh in this one you know i don't think he's really you know and then <laughs> and then i and then i see like you know, not even, it probably was less than 200 miles later, you know, probably right before I did or maybe an offer or something. Yeah. And you just like, we're just like taking way shorter rests because your team was crushing it. And yeah. Uh, yeah so it's like, you know, you pass, I remember passing your head on and I was like, dude, what the hell? Like I still got like 30, 40 miles to go to Idera <laughs> and you already went there, took your rest and came back, you know, and I was like really impressed with like, and that that kind of goes back to the previous subject we were talking about, which is that like you think that that run was really hard on your dogs, and maybe it was, but like they're so robust, they're so tough, and you don't you like you can't believe in that robustness and toughness until you see it. Yep. You get to roan, you maybe take a, a nice long rest or whatever, reassess the situation. Like let's just get to the next checkpoint. Let's we you know we got a long run to Nikolai. We'll take a break, you know. And next thing you know, your team's clipping along uh, yeah, super fast, and you, you got that confidence right back. And you know, yeah, it's just it's amazing. You know, once you can get in a rhythm. I mean, they like said the dogs aren't the weak weak spot. We are. So it's just yeah. Um, once you get them clipping along, man, you just keep rolling. Yeah. No, that was that was uh. That I remember that run through the gorge, like being like, oh shit, I just pulled that off. Like every every yeah. corner I went through, I was like, oh, well, that was I, really close to a complete and total disaster. And then yeah, I just then, like, I remember going through the gorge that year, and there was little makeshift bridges, you know, huge ice shelves, and you know, just trying to keep your sled and your dogs on it. And then 
we got to the bottom of the gorge and I'm just like, ah, oh, you know, we made it through the gorge. And then we get on the river and it's just blue glare ice for five miles. And I'm just like, well, I, I guess this is what we got to go. And, and then, you know, that, that was the year that Allie crashed and you could hear the helicopter, but we didn't know what was going on. And, um, and it was really, it was like 40 degrees. Yeah. I remember <laughs> just, seeing Allie's like headlamp on the ice and a total yard sale of whatever was in her sled. And I just like yeah. looked over and I was like, huh, that looks yeah. like someone had a bad day. And then I like, I was like, well, you know, yeah. I'll just keep I didn't think like maybe this is the section of trail I should worry about. And then I like immediately just poof, fell over. Yeah, I, and, I fell over in that same spot, too. So, don't <laughs> yeah. And then I think at some point, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it was this this race or the, the previous one, but I, there was just like one of those little like nubs of like wood sticking out of the ice. Mm-hmm. And it like hit my brake bar. I, we were go, you know, we, were go, we weren't going like crazy fast, but we were going like eight or nine miles an hour and just yeah. like like come stop at complete halt like just gut <laughs> check to the handlebar to the to the stomach oh. um but that so last year you ran 21 i did a rod did you run have you run the last three or did you take a year uh so i ran in uh 21 and 22 and i, I took last year i bet a, last year i just ran connect and cusco had a pretty short racing season yeah, it's kind of nice and help you save or not spend as much, you know, yeah, and, really expensive you know, event. That and just uh, coming out of COVID, the wife and I wanted to uh, do some traveling and go see some family and do some things that we hadn't done for a while. And um, honestly, I had some got a lot of old sports injuries that I needed to get fixed. So we're working on that, too, but doing a lot better on that front. <laughs> Right on. What did you what what uh what kind of sports were you into? Uh so I played um football, uh wrestling, baseball, and track. So oh, man. You're yeah. playing something year, year round, I guess it sounds like. Yeah, yep. So um yeah, my senior year was a was an all state lineman. Um and then O line? Yep, yep. And then what was, uh, it, what was your position? You're talking played, to a, you're talking to a left tackle over here. I, I played center center and left guard. So nice. So, yeah. So you're 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 probably much faster than than I am. You're doing some pulling as a guard, oh, yeah. I assume. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not 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 my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I uh, I was pretty tore up by the time I got to my senior year. So I didn't even wrestle my senior year. I had to have shoulder surgery the following year and just lots of uh, little issues to fix. So it was uh, it was nice to take a break and really focus on getting a lot of that stuff fixed. What was uh, what wrestling class were you? Uh I wrestled um, 189, and then when they changed the weight classes, I was 195 my junior year. Got you. Yeah, I was. Uh, I did wrestling for one year. My, my freshman year, my football coach was like, "Yeah, just you should do something to, you know, keep it going or whatever." Went straight, literally straight from football season into wrestling, and like that first week of wrestling practice, I'd never wrestled before absolutely just like absolutely destroyed me oh yeah and, you, th- uh, you think you're in shape until you go no. into into wrestling practice and it turns out you're not in shape 
yeah so uh but yeah no the rest the wrestling didn't work out for me um i was if i wanted i was 215 or i was heavyweight but like going up it you know like if you can wrestle at 215 you might as well do that because like that gap from 215 to 275 for heavyweight is just like ridiculous (laughs) yeah so anyways not to take us off topic for too long but i was just kind of uh curious uh about about what that looked like for you growing up yeah no i was uh i was heavily heavily involved in sports growing up and then uh you said after covid you guys had that itch to travel what would uh what did that look like for you guys so we we ended up going to minnesota to see my wife's family that's where she's from and uh, we went to ireland and mexico and uh, went back to Washington uh, to see my family for a week. So just uh, spent the whole springtime traveling pretty much. Nice. That's badass, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Have, have you been to Minnesota before? That's that's like a, a state that I recently went to for work. And I was like, I didn't know anything about it. And um, I was amazed at how I didn't know there were so many lakes there and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, did- no. I, I've been there quite a bit now, okay. and, and I had been there before my wife and I even met. And I went back there to to meet her family. So uh, we we have quite a few friends that live back that way. And so uh, Minnesota's cool, not as cool as Alaska. But. <laughs> yeah, uh, my, my my boss is from Minnesota, so I guess I've learned a little bit about it. And he 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 tells me some things that sound Alaska esque. But I'm like, uh, I, I think it's just like a fraction of what what I know of Alaska to be. So yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. But yeah, uh, so- I have definitely heard some great things about Minnesota, and they've got they got crazy cold temperatures, lots of wind. Yep. And uh, like, I mean, people say something that I mean, certainly compared to Anchorage and Talkeetna and south of Talkeetna, maybe you know that. It might be colder winter, but it's just a shorter winter. Yep, and it's a shorter winter. Uh, they've they've got some really great dog races down there too. Yeah, I would. Have you you been you seen them or? So uh, we actually um, second year with the kennel, we went down to actually the lower forty eight and raced. Um, didn't do so well because the style of racing down there is completely different, and that was like right before COVID hit. And I'm pretty sure I had COVID because uh, I was sicker than a dog for like half the races. I ran the UP 200 with like a 104 degree fever. <laughs> that is, yeah, well, I have like that's... a tickle in my throat right now. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe should be scared of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, dude, how old are you? Uh, just turned 29 September. Damn, you're like married with a kennel, just like five years into your own kennel, and 29, dude. I thought you were like, like in like in your fifties or something, dude. So all right. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just so, kidding. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like I am. <laughs> yeah, with all the surgeries and aches and pains, yeah, maybe especially uh, during those races, you 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 feel like an old man. Yeah, uh, exactly. Everybody does. Um, so 2022, I did a ride. You finished in. I so I did not finish the 2022. Oh shit! Sorry. Okay. Yeah. No, Talk about how that went for you. Man, it was it was honestly a dream run up until it wasn't. Right. Um, you know, we were 
my whole goal was pretty much to just take it easy um, until I got to the Yukon. And then if the dogs were running ready, we were going to start racing. And um, of course, started the race and every female on my team started coming into heat, just one after another. Um, so, I mean, we had we had a good run through the gorge. The gorge wasn't bad. The river wasn't bad. The burn was pretty terrible. Um, you know, got to Tang Creek. There was no snow. It was just glare ice. Ended up camping on one of the lakes. Um, got blown down the Post River. That was kind of interesting, going across the Post River and uh, outside of Roan and got hit by a wind gust. And the whole, me and the whole team got blown down the river into the alders. And The Post River is the one near Roan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The glare ice, the infamous glare ice river. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, camped for a couple hours, had a good run to Nikolai, had a good run to McGrath, uh, ended up 24 in McGrath. And, um, and it was honestly, it was, it ended up being like 40 degrees and snowing like a foot and it might as well have been raining. The dogs didn't rest all that great. Um, and then kind of leaving Ofer, I started having leader issues. And up until this point, and up until the point that I scratched, I didn't have a single injury the whole race. Um, you know, when I scratched, I had 10 dogs in harness. Uh, I had um, I had returned three of them because um, they were in heat, and I had one that was getting a little thin. Um, so, you know, made it to Ruby, made it to the Yukon. Team just came screaming in there, ate everything. And so I'm like, okay, well, we're, you know, my kind of my goal was, is we got there early is like, we're going to stay for a couple hours and then we're going to run to Galena and take our eight through the heat of the day. So <clears throat> left Ruby early in the morning, just as it was kind of getting daylight and got 15, 20 miles out of, out of Ruby and just started having major leader issues, just swapping dogs around, couldn't figure it out. You know, they had one thing on their mind and it was not running to, um, not running to Galena. So um a couple of my males got in a pretty good tussle. It was the uh ladies in heat, you're saying? Yeah. Every, every female on my team was in heat. Um okay. So ended up, you know, the male a couple of males got in a pretty good tussle. So I turned around and um and we ran back to Ruby. So ran back to Ruby, ended up Shoot, I think I took almost an extra 24 there, just trying to get things reset, you know, um, returned a couple dogs that were like in full blown heat, um, ended up following Bridget Watkins uh, out of the uh, checkpoint and, um, you know, made it to Galena, took a good rest there and then actually left the checkpoint in Galena and you know made it about a mile or two out of town and I, I just didn't really like what i see and you know i turned around and scratched and I, i'm pretty sure i scratched for the happiest team ever um you know they uh they came back on the checkpoint they had no idea what was happening i mean they were super happy they were all playing you know of course you know how dogs get when half the team's in heat so um you know we ended up flying to uh they flew us to unicleat and then back to anchorage and, you know, I got back to Fairbanks and about that time, that was when um, Bridget and Gerhardt got stuck in that storm and, you know, almost died. And so it was kind of a realization moment for me that as much as it sucked to scratch, I was really glad that 
I listened to my gut because I would have been right there with them, yeah. you know. So um, it, was, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Um, you know, it sucks to scratch, but um, when it's in the best interest of the dogs, it's kind of a no-brainer. So, yeah. So you you'd say, yeah, you scratch with the happiest team quote. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I I would. That's kind of how mine went too in the 2020. You know, my dogs were like, they. I mean, it was just such an easy job because they were they were Jeff Kings and A team, and he was trained. We trained them hard and trained yeah. well, and they were on their prime, and they were like, you know, I was getting wet and I was getting having issues and and they were just like totally fine and yeah still playing with each other and i remember like when i was in shack tulik uh you know people were looking at my team like dude what are you doing here like you should be going moving along like the whole team's like wagging their tail and like you know wrestling and stuff and i'm like oh my yeah. god yeah i maybe it did go a little too slow on that one um, yeah. it's good yeah you know uh it's good so, to err on the side of caution and you know you ever it's such a tough decision and um you know sometimes i go back on the shoulda coulda woulda but you know it's it is what it is and, uh, yeah whatever. yeah you know i i just i couldn't get any dogs that really wanted to lead and i just i didn't want to get in a situation where i wouldn't have a dog that wanted to lead and if i would have been in that storm I mean, with no leader, then it would have been really bad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's like, I've never had the, like, I don't know. I've, I've had some leader problems for sure, but like, not like, so not unsolvable, you know, like that sounds like such a stressful situation. It's like tricky too, because you're thinking like, as you're switching leaders, I mean, like, yeah, in a perfect world, you never, the dogs never have the option like if you're a good lead dog they will have never crossed their mind like that that it's an option to go and check out what's going on behind them yeah and exactly then they go and they check on what's going on behind them because the female's in heat and that's just nature doing its thing and you're like well i'm gonna switch them out but then you like switch when you switch a dog out that like stops leading now now the dog's thinking well oh that's on the menu i can actually stop leading yeah. And so like they learn that and then they can, you know, and that's something that's hard to unlearn. And yep. so it's another good reason to, to like a benefit of scratching yeah. in that situation is that you didn't do that for too long. So the dogs didn't, weren't just going 400 miles with you switching out leaders whenever they thought that I'm not into leading right at this moment, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it was kind of confirmed when the, the dogs made it to Anchorage before I did, my wife picked them up and, you know, they're just being total knuckleheads. And she was like, I don't know how you're dealing with this out the, on the trail. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm at least glad that somebody else got to see, you know, what I was dealing with. Um, Cause yeah, it was pretty rough, but um, dude, it's so no, it's it's just one of those things you learn and um, just kind of move on from and try to come back better next time. So with females in heat, the where and were your females in heat, were they just as, I mean, obviously you tried some of them and lead and it's not oh, like everyone ever, you know, I think everybody kind of thinks like uh, the females are in heat and the boys are getting horny. 
but like no, the, the girls the are like back in their butt right up to the boys like yeah it's it's uh, it's not just the boys <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they're they're just as excited yeah so but um yeah so life goes on <laughs> yep yep life does go on so i was excited dude you're back in it and uh and you got a strong looking team and you're going to have like, I guess kind of you get to connect and you're pretty much like all your training from connect race to Iditarod is going to be like maintenance miles, kind of keep them moving. Yeah. 50 here, you know, uh, 50 there, maybe a hundred or something, but like you've kind of probably done, you probably have, I'm you probably have some, decent sized trip between now and connect i would think and then when yep. you know when and then uh and they're moving while you're obviously up in the slope yep and and then it's kind of a nice feeling i feel like because like sometimes i dread like the training trips a little bit because you're just like like no i'm the only one that's making us do this like the dogs yeah. love doing it but you're like god like do i really have to do this you know well, like, i mean you know that's why i kind of want to kind of wanted to just do all the racing too because it's like i do the racing we get the miles in by the time we get to iditarod the dogs are just dialed you know and it's so much more fun having like a race like a i i mean and for some people it doesn't have to be a race i always like to emphasize that like we talk race this race that like it's just an expedition that's sponsored you know like yeah. you play you go and pay your money get your mark trail get your veterinarians get your shit all out on all the different checkpoints it's like the easiest way that you could go 300 miles yeah so and it's like it's not hard to i don't know so when you're training as a brennan for a triathlon or whoever for whatever you're like all right if i didn't run this one two mile run would i really not finish this triathlon as strongly right so like champions don't have that mentality so you probably don't i definitely am like looking like all right dude do we really need to go on this 120 mile run we're running the well, well, Sean, do, do you remember when you were doing the training run on the Denali Highway and uh, my wife and I were out at Alpine Creek Lodge for our home? Oh, yeah. I and forgot you, about that, dude. And, and you came in and we were, were like, do you want an Oreo? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Do, do you want a shot? Because <laughs> you were just, you were tired. Yeah, um, uh, that's <laughs> hilarious. You guys were like in the, lo lo in the lodge, just like vibe and chilling. like. I don't even, I don't know. If, did you have your dogs there? I got, yeah, we did. We, we, did, had, we had our dogs on our honeymoon up to the yeah. Alpine, oh. but we'd already ran that day. So we were just chilling. Yeah. I'm doing like a Dallas CV friggin' four hour rest, you know, whatever series. And I'm like, you know, ah, like, you know, I just, on the down, I was down. So we both had these moments where we've been down and the other one is just there to, this, you just got a bitch for a second, you know, and it yep. <laughs> doesn't have to mean anything. You know, I just want to say that to anyone that I've bitched at, I've been, you know, just, it's just nice to just complain once in a while. All right. Just take it with a grain of salt. I don't mean it really, but yeah. it's just sometimes I got to, you know, eh? yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Hey, I want to go back and re just revisit the topic of uh, the dogs and heat. Um, you know, it's been a topic on the last few episodes that we've recorded. And I guess I'm wondering at this point, like, does that go into the decision making for, you know, maybe you don't want to select a dog for the race? Oh, it, it totally does. I mean, um, you know, we're 
we're tracking our dog's heat cycle so much better. And I can guarantee you when I go to pick my 16 for Iditarod that I'm going to be looking at it. Um, you know, after that race, we, we spayed a ton of females, um, you know, so that they just can't come in to eat. Um, but it, you know, it definitely goes in my decision and, you know, ideally if, you know, I'd love to have enough dogs where I could just run a all female team or an all male team and not have to worry about it. But, um, um, you know, it's definitely something that's going to factor in, in my decision on, on which dogs I bring. But the, the thing that sucks is some of my best leaders are females that are intact. So it's, you have to, you have to weigh those options. Yeah. It's like the whole, like a spaying neutering thing, you know, is, you don't want to ever spay or neuter a dog, you know, if you have that luxury, because if you're like, ah, I would like to figure who am I going to breed? You know, I was like, Oh, yep. well, I don't know if this dog is going to be the dog that I want to breed until they're maybe three or four years old as yep. in some cases. And now you've got your best lead dogs, the ones you're probably going to breed and you're not going to spay them. So now it's like this total catch 22, but what an asset to have is a spayed female. Like you can pretty much put that dog next to any dog. Mm -hmm. situation and that's just such a nice like set and like you just set the dog in the wherever on the team and you don't have to think like hey, it's this dog you know whatever and it seems like all the females always tend to to go into heat for some reason during that did rod right before whatever it, ne it never fails never fails um like i'm curious like if before that that uh i did rod were you like maybe not as closely monitoring it and that was kind of like a learning lesson or it just shitty tough timing uh a little bit of both i mean we were monitoring it but uh definitely not as close as we are we're now but i had never had that many females in heat at one time ever and and i still have yet to this day to have that many i mean normally it's like we have two females at a time in heat you know like that's a lot and i think i had six or seven Jesus, that's like an ancient Roman orgy right there. Dude. <laughs> what did you just say? Ancient Roman orgy. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't in Rome, but I assume there was a couple of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it, it was it was a it was a rough time. But uh, no, we're definitely tracking a lot more. Got a lot more spade females and um, and uh, <clears throat> male, our male dogs behave a lot better now. So just training. Yeah. Yeah. Well now yeah, that's exactly. And, and the female heat cycle for a dog is not like, you know, it's not very linear either. I feel like no. you could have a dog, go, a female come into heat and you're like, all right, cool. Like I'm good for a few months. And then they come like right back into heat again. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, I've, I've, I'm not like, I don't know anything, but you know, that was my experience and it was kind of like, yeah, you, know, you can't I mean, just go I, into Anytime you bring an intact or, uh, you know, not spayed female into the race, like it's on the table, it's in the cards, it could happen. Yep. And exactly. sometimes females go into heat and the do the boys don't even really care. Yep. And then some certain females do and it's a, it's a nightmare. Yeah. That so. sounds, sounds crazy. Yeah. So uh, one thing that we've, we try to ask all of our guests, at least recently, is uh, if you have any good stories that highlight any of your dogs, you know, whether it's, you know, like 
we we talk about the dogs that you didn't have didn't have a much of an expectation and they they blew it out of the you know park um or maybe just one that just like you had all the expectation and they absolutely delivered but just just curious if you have any good uh you know spotlights on any of your dogs yeah so i've uh actually got these two dogs um zeus and tiny so zeus is from the first litter that i um i bred and i remember i was i was doing this this long series at home and um you know zeus zeus was just struggling and so i i came back home and went to leave for another run and and um and i left zeus at his house and i was like zeus you're you're done buddy um you know i think i'm gonna sell you so then I, of course i tell my wife like yeah i think i'm gonna sell zeus and she's like no he he's gonna he's gonna prove you wrong well sure enough he you know the next season he completely turned it around he made my iditarod team made it up all the way until i scratched he finished the knick last year with me finished the cusco with me i mean he, he's not a leader but he's you know just an incredible incredible team dog and you need those right um and then the most interesting one is tiny so tiny um he's not a tiny male but um he his tail got um bit by his mom the day he was born so he has a tiny tail um so his nickname when he was a puppy um from mike santos's son which is where the puppies were at for the summer was tiny tail so um we shortened his name to tiny and you know he he was the smallest male in the litter and i was like you know, he's kind of a butthead and I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work. Well, this season, Tiny has just completely blown my expectations. He's one of the fastest leaders in the kennel now, and he's just really turned it on. He's been running my A team. He'll probably lead part of the Kinnick and the Cusco and and definitely, you know, I did a run. Um, just absolutely blew my, blew my expectations of him. And he was another one that I was going to sell. So, I, I don't know if I just have bad judgment of dogs or which ones I need to get rid of, or I should probably just listen to my wife more. Uh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, uh, having a solid team dog, like same, like, you know, similar feeling with like having that spade female, you can just, you know, especially if they're a great sled dog, but like having that solid team dog, man, it's just so nice you put them in the team and it's just like, I have to spend like zero mental energy pretty like 0.01% of my brain on this dog. Like I know yep, exactly totally fine. And that's like, you know, the mental, like a lot of times you could drop a dog just because you think something's wrong and there might not even be something wrong, but you're just tired of thinking that something could be wrong. And then yep. you drop the dog. Like that's a good enough reason. Right. So like, yep. to be able to have a dog, that's a team dog. And, and you're like, I just, this dog's like pretty much bulletproof, you know, mm -hmm. is gosh, that's a yeah, good feeling. I can think of a dog at Jeff's named Gilder and he, yeah. he is just like never led. Uh, he actually retired and then he went and worked with like a, a shorter race kennel that was like doing recreational stuff. And they put him in lead with like, you know, not with the, the team wasn't as, you know, as Jeff King's team was. And so yeah. he, they put Gilder in lead and he, just like they won the race and it was like his first. <laughs> year, you know? That's awesome. Pretty funny. Um, but yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And then tiny, just like 
the fast leader. Oh my gosh, that's such a nice thing to have. You got your weather, like inclement weather leaders where there's, you know, big wind or no trail. You got your speed leaders. You got yeah. your, I'm going to give my all-star leaders a break. So I'm going to plug these guys in because they could probably just run this easier leg or whatever leaders. You know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah exactly. Speed, so. Yeah, so pretty pretty excited about him. So he's uh, he's four this year. So he's just coming in coming into his prime. And you usually you're with your retired dogs. You rehome them to like uh, an active home, or do you have a couple of retirees you kept with you? Um, yeah. So we've got uh, we have two full time um, retirees that uh, live in the house with us. So Jenna. Um, you know, she was a really one of my big leaders. Um, you know, she was a leader when I worked for Ken and then, you know, um, had a couple litters of puppies out of her. And then we also have her brother junior. And then kind of the, what we do is, uh, I mean, we, we kind of cycle our dogs, um, through the house, but then once they're retired, um, we bring them in the house full time. So like right now we've got two dogs, two additional dogs in the house, um, that are getting ready to go to retirement homes. And then, you know, we retire them out to pet slash active homes. Um, we do uh, quite a bit of work with the August Foundation. So I partnered with them. Um, my last two I did rods to um, for people um, that I work with through Hillcorp's Giving Fund to kind of sponsor me, but also uh, August Fund gets a pretty good portion of the money too. So nice. it's been a really good relationship. I think like... I, I always, I mean, there's, I feel like the majority of dog owners that get a puppy have never trained a puppy and it's a really challenging thing. And I always try to convince people mostly without success that like the best freaking dog you could get is a retired sled dog yep. because, uh, you know, they're super thankful to be like somebody's, you know, one dog of maybe a hospital that has two dogs or something, or yep. now they're sleeping on a dog bed inside. Like they're just happy to sleep on the carpet inside yeah you know, it's like, yeah whereas you get other dogs that they're like you know hey uh what are you doing on my side of the bed kind of dogs right and so they're just so thankful for the little things yeah that, and they're and they're so easy they're so well trained they're so well mannered they'll just sleep right. all day but yet if you want to take them on a hike or go skajoring or, or whatever they have plenty of, plenty of energy for that but i mean our dogs we don't even see them most of the day because they're upstairs sleeping on our bed or in their couch or, or on the couch or or whatever so yeah so you guys that are looking for your first dog i you know i do reckon and, and just because you live in the lower 48 doesn't mean that's not on the table for you like there's so yeah, we, most mushers send their dogs to the lower 48 to, for their forever home you know and they retire yeah. at seven or eight they live until they're 15 yep on average right yep, so we you're should not just sending them to a home for the last two years of their life, right? They they'll be seven, eight, nine years old, but they still got five, six years on average left. Yep. Yep. No, we've shipped a lot of dogs to lower 48 and they're all doing amazing. So August, so the August fund, if you're looking for a retired sled dog, that's yep. That's, that's yep. Get a hold of the August fund, get a hold of uh Julie. She's amazing. They foster a ton of retired sled dogs. So get a hold of them for sure. Heck yeah. Um, so you've, I saw, I think I saw a post from you recently that you're, you kind of, firstly, your website, but again, man, most of the people we have on their websites are just like, I'm so impressed. Like, every, like I, I've seen a lot of bad, 
bad ones in the past, but it seems like everybody across the board is kind of getting their act together, you know? Well, it's, uh, it's not me. One, one of my best friends that I grew up with, um, since preschool, he has his own, um, marketing company and, um, you know, he completely built the website and does, you know, all the graphic design for our logo and all of our merchandise and, and all that. So that's, uh, yeah, Jesse Lion Eye Creative, he's freaking amazing. He's been a huge help and been, been there since the beginning. So Right on. Yeah. So you, you're, you've got this busy race schedule. You do have, you know, you do have a good, good job in, uh, in the North slope, but you know, yeah, it's not an, not enough money. I'm thinking, uh, so people are, have the opportunity to sponsor some of you or sponsor your dogs or something, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. We got a, we got a sponsorship program. You can sponsor an individual dog or do a kennel sponsorship. Um, you know, every, every little bit counts. I mean, at the end, you know, it costs about 20 grand to, to run. I did a rod and, you know, just the last couple of years, the price, since I started the kennel five years ago, the price of kibble has pretty much doubled. Um, so, you know, even with a smaller kennel and still 30 to $50,000 a year to, to maintain the kennel. Um, so yeah, every little bit helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brennan. Yeah. I, so I had this thought the other day and, you know, I know that, uh, that each, each, uh, race has different requirements of things that you have to keep in your sled. I was curious though, like if there is maybe like a non-traditional item that you're like, fuck, I cannot, I have to have this. Like, it, but maybe it's something that like the or, a normal person wouldn't think of, you know. And just like a, you're like stoked that you have this this setup or this thing. You know, probably the thing that I have that I love the most in my sled that is not a required item is a tarp. A tarp has saved me more times than I can count. And so, <laughs> whether it's I mean, you can use it as a jacket if it's raining. You can cover up your sled. You can sleep on it. You can dump all your gear when you get to a checkpoint. It is like the most versatile thing. I know it sounds really dumb, but That's brilliant. You know, like I asked, I asked Darren Burmeister one time about it, and one of his Iditarods, he's like didn't bring a tarp, and he he got to Nikolai, and he he gave one of the locals some money to go buy him a tarp. Like I I love love having a tarp on the sled. It's, uh, and you know, with the warmer winters that we've been having and, you know, it seems like every race it, it rains, it's really nice to have. You just like wrap yourself up like you're. Yeah. Or you just throw it over your sled. I mean, I always have rain gear now. Uh, so, I mean, like last year on the Cusco, I had a tarp wrapped around my sled to try and keep all the water off of it. It's right. freezing. Um, but yeah, a tarp is. For you young mushers watching, get a tarp, throw it in your nice. sled. <laughs> yeah, I can picture you got the tarp over, you got the hood on, and you just look like Emperor Palpatine, and you're just like, you, <laughs> you know, something about the dark, something, something darkness. I don't know what he says, but yeah, um, yeah. So what what about go to snacks on the trail? So like on the run, you're moving, you're a little hungry, you know. So I'm, I'm really bad about eating on the trail. Um, but, uh, my favorite things are probably just like cold bacon. Love, love that. And then, uh, Smucker's Uncrustables. 
um because they're frozen then you can pop them in your parka and they're thawed out in like half an hour and you got a nice peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then mm-hmm. uh, you know the last i did a run i started started every run with like uh two ibuprofen two caffeine pills and a couple of peanut m ms and that was that was the money combination oh my gosh that is hilarious <laughs> that is too funny perfect cocktail if you will <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Little, little sugar, little caffeine, little painkiller. Oh. You know what's funny is like <clears throat> we've 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 heard of of the snacks that mushers are eating there, and like I swear, like we never hear anyone like, oh, I'm eating healthy, like, like trail mix, and no, everyone's just dude. like, like anything goes. I, I guess like my thought is like if you're eating kind of crappy food, doesn't that like make you more tired and like. Like I don't That's know, what caffeine pills are for dude. The sugar, the caffeine, it's counteracting. You know, what do you counter- I mean, I mean those those are the those are the snacks, right? Like I do eat trail mix, and like my meals are 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 pretty healthy. But I think honestly, it's just trying to get as many calories and you you can't because you're just working so hard. You're not sleeping. Like I remember when I ran the Kobuck. I mean, it was my second race. Like, I did not eat enough on that race or pack enough food. But I wasn't really hungry. Like, I got back to Cotsview, and I remember, like, I'd lost, like, 17 pounds in four days or whatever. I mean, it was it was crazy. So, and then the same thing happens on Iditarod. So, um, yeah, I, I was about to. I was about to ask you uh, what what how much weight you've lost on uh, an Iditarod before. Uh, I think my rookie year, I lost like fifteen pounds right right in there. So, Jeez. um, yeah. So it's uh, by the end, your pants are falling off. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, Josh, we're uh, we're about an hour in. Um, I don't know if there's did, Sean. Did you have anything else? So you, I mean, like as always, I mean, we could easily extend this. And just keep chatting about it because it's so easy to talk about. But, uh, I, you know, Sean, do you have anything you wanted to wrap up or any other questions that we've missed? Dude, I just got to say, thank you so much for that Oreo, dude. That was clutch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, I remember that Oreo. I've never, I don't, there's not many Oreos that I do remember, but I, I remember that one. And, yeah, because uh, you had to roll right from that into your uh, rookie meeting on Zoom. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I had to mush back. Oh, yeah. I was already bitter sixty-three miles before the rookie meeting. <laughs> I was, uh, I was fine. I got over it. I wasn't that bitter, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 you were sitting in the truck in the Cantwell parking lot. I was sitting at home and in, in, uh, in my pajamas. Um, I think we had exchanged some messages too while I was in the parking lot of just like you're like yeah I'm in my PJs and I was like yeah fuck you yeah. <laughs> I I can say I I probably am the only I you know I can actually probably say this now uh, I'm probably the only rookie that has ever shot in a links during their I did a ride rookie meeting because there was one in the driveway during the rookie meeting and I ex- and I actually like stepped away from the meeting to take care of this lynx that had been hanging out that I was worried it was going to get some of our puppies and got this lynx and then came back to the meeting. So. What? That is fucking metal, wow. dude. Like, I, gotta, <laughs> I love it. Lynx has been looking at my little wee puppies a little bit too, too much. Yeah. And that's a serious, you know, that is a serious potential for that to happen. But yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty Alaska story right there. I think yeah. Rod getting a links in your driveway. 
wow you, you get back you're like anyways yeah you know like you <laughs> The rookie meeting and everybody no one has any idea that's such a that's so awesome yeah nobody has any idea what just happened you just like wipe like you get like blood off your face <laughs> yeah I, I have a, i have a picture of me in my pajamas holding holding my links that i got <laughs> is is like something that you can eat do you eat that or like what do you do with that i uh, I've I've heard of people eating it, but uh, you, you like I got it tanned, and you can use it to fur for whatever, make hats, gloves. So it's really warm. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for coming on. Maybe you can hang on tight for just a second when we stop recording. But um, that was super fun chatting with you, and and I'm stoked for your for your race season, dude. We're gonna be rooting you on from from our in our pajamas potentially <laughs> perfect you're the smart one <laughs> yeah, i know I, I i'm like it's like such a like battle of like oh, i don't know i should maybe get back into it and then i'm like the second i like kind of take a step towards getting and i'm like well like right now i just slept into like nine you know it's like it's not that all that bad not doing much and thing anymore it's it's crazy yeah. and you seem like you're really good even i saw you in the summer dude doing all that fishing i guess you got maybe you got a boat or something yeah i um, bought a boat a year ago so and dude you know that was like a grind like going because you're driving from fairbanks down to the coast and yeah you know, you're, you're just like always on a crazy schedule i bet no it's not a lot of sleep my wife asks me all the time she doesn't know how i do it <laughs> crazy